Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys ready to party? Well, we are now week two into a series at a first John called Gritty Love. You were that? If this is your first time with us, let me just bring that to your attention. Last week, Nick, who was just out here, gave us a powerful message about community and fellowship. It was so strong. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be hitting up chapter two of First John. And then next week, Pastor Mark's going to come out, and he's going to be hitting up chapter three and taking us even deeper into this idea of love and God's love. But to get us started, I want to start us off with uh, an, uh, a little reflection on the human heart. Take a moment, just put your hand on your neck right here and just feel that pulse. Just pause for a minute until you can feel the pulse. You feel that? Isn't that amazing? The heart beats 115,000 times a day. Check this out. Can you believe it? 60 to 100 times per minute. If you are a very in shape adult, maybe somewhere around 40 to 50, in the 40 to 50 range, all right? So that's a lot of uh, heart pumping. 41 million beats per year. Isn't that incredible? It's just boom, 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 boom. Now, imagine we just take our age and multiply that by 41 million. Wow. Your heart is working hard, and what it does is it pumps blood through your whole body. It, let's go to the next slide. It pumps blood 60,000 miles through your whole body. If you were to take your... Um, circulatory system and all the little blood vesicles and everything and stretch them out 60,000 miles. Isn't that incredible? God is an incredible packer. Ever try to pack your luggage for an international flight? You know what I mean? That feeling of like, oh, they're going to weigh this thing. I can't bring that. You're just trying to make everything 60,000 miles packed into your body and the heart is pumping blood through all those miles. Isn't that gnarly? Incredible. And here's an, a little known fact. Women are faster than men. Women's heart beats, on average, faster than men, which explains a lot. <laughs> what does this have to do with God and why we're here? Well, let's go to 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, i.e. the sins of that Christian community, but get this, but also for the sins of the whole world. There are vaccines that are especially tuned to a particular virus, and you have a vaccine, and one vaccine does not work with all viruses. They're very specific to that virus. Yet, when it comes to the blood of Jesus, Jesus' solution to our sin problem covers all the sin of the world and all its variety, all its mutation, all its variety and diversity. There is no sin you will find out in the world that Jesus has not taken care of. There's no sin in your life. There's nothing you could ever find out about yourself or encounter in the world out there that Jesus has not dealt with. And then what does that even mean? Well, that's the, that's the gospel, that there's nothing out, no sin in the world that Jesus cannot free us from, heal us, forgive us, and transform us out of. 
Come on. Amen. There's the good news. Well, we know that we have come to know him. We know that we have come to know this love, this love that forgives us of all sin, that heals us of all sin. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Now, John's going to say something, some really hard stuff right here. And it's so important that we hear this because it is a matter of life and death. When you go to the doctor and they diagnose a serious situation in your life, it's so important that we pay attention and not get offended by the doctor. What, are you telling me that I got ear cancer? Well, I'm offended. I can't get ear cancer. Look at me. I work out every day. I eat salad every day. There's no way I'm offended and walk out. I mean, that's not going to be any good for your health. Sometimes we got to let the physician tell us things we don't always want to hear in order to save us. And listen to what John needs to say here. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, get this, this is so powerful. If anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. Now, when it says love for God, look at the, if you have an NIV, if you've got a new international version, look at the bottom, there's a little footnote about it. And that love for God can be translated God's love or in other translations, the love of God, which is a more general statement than simply saying your love for God. When it, First John is talking a lot about the love of God, meaning his love for you, your love for him, and God's love in you for people in the world. That is the bigger umbrella picture of God's love, the love of God in all its forms. And I think that's a better way to understand what he's talking about. So let's try it again. If anyone obeys his word, the love of God in us is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. What an incredible scripture. This is what we're going to look at this morning. Obedience is the heart of our relationship with God because it makes God's love complete in us in three specific ways. All right, you ready? Here we go. Number one, by pumping God's love into our life. Number two, by freeing us from the love of the world or the lust of the world. We'll talk about that. And number three, by taking God's love through us to other people. Those three things. This is how God's love is being made complete in us by obeying. I want to tackle the first one. The first one is this, that by obeying God, obedience pumps the love of God into every part of our life. Let's unpack what that means real quick. Number one, Obedience pumps God's love into our whole life. How do you know if a human being is alive? What do you do? If you want to know someone's life, someone's unconscious and you want to know their life, we maybe listen for their breath, right? What's another thing we do? We're going to go for a heartbeat. We're going to feel for a pulse. Obedience is the pulse of our relationship with God. If there is no heartbeat in a physical body, that person cannot be alive. If there is no obedience in a believer's life, that person is not alive in God. That's what John is saying. In those areas of our life where we are not obeying God, that area is dead to God. That's what John is saying. It's a really hard thing to hear. So what am I saying? That if you're not obeying God, that you're dead somehow? I'm not saying that, but John is. 
So uh, I'm not, this is not meant to be a judgmental thing. John actually is coming as a physician because there's a bunch of false teaching going through the church that he's writing to at this time that is teaching people that Jesus didn't in fact come into, in a physical body. Today's scholars, even non-Christian scholars, agree that Jesus did in fact historically exist and have a body. They just don't believe that he rose from the dead. In John's time, people were doubting that Jesus came in a body, but that he was this enlightened spirit, the spirit of God, and that if he didn't come in a body, what you do in the body doesn't really matter that much because we have a spirituality that has somehow transcended the importance of what we do with our crude bodies. That's not of any significance. And of course, what we do with our body matters, and that's what John's trying to address because it is a matter of life and death. Obedience is the heart of our relationship with God. It is the heart of our life in God. This is how we know that we are alive in God. We obey him. Now, when I say heart, I don't mean it's the most important thing. I'm not trying to say that obedience is more important than faith or more important than love. I'm talking about the heart as a mechanism, the physical attribute of the heart. What does a heart do? It pumps blood through your whole body, right? And without that pump, you would die. Imagine taking in the love of God and it just pools. Imagine blood pooling in your heart. If you have blood pooling your heart, not being pumped through your body, you would die. And that's what obedience does. Obedience is what works the love of God. So when we confess, and John talks about confessing in chapter one, Nick talked about how if we confess our sins, if we admit we have sin in our life, if we admit we're not perfect, if we admit that we are not able to live the life of love that we know we were supposed to be living, if we can admit that we can't do it on our own and that we can only do it with God's help, if we confess our sin, if we can confess that Jesus is our savior and that he alone can solve our sin problem, that love of God comes into your heart. It says in the Bible, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart, you will be saved. But when you accept God's love into your life, as unconditional as that love is, it has to work its way into every nook and cranny of your life every part of your identity, your sexual identity, your work life, your physical life, your marriage life, your friendship life, your financial life, the way that you handle money, the way you view your relationship to your neighbor, the way that you view your stewardship over your resources, every part of it, your parenting, every aspect of it, your thought life, the love of God only works its way into your thought life, into your finances, into your marriage, into your sexuality by obeying God. That's what obedience does. Obedience pumps God's love into every part of our life. Hey, Ryan, see those guys pull off on the side of the road? I know it's one in the morning, but I want you to pull over and give them, give them some help. I was driving um, back to my apartment when I was uh, in my early 20s and, and it was dark on a dark road and I saw this car pulled over off the side and the old Ryan never would have done that. No way. I grew up, you know, in situations where 
there was a lot of fighting, and I would never pull off and help some random guys I don't know. But I just felt the Spirit of God nudge me off the road. I pulled over, and I pulled over to help these guys. And um, as I'm getting out of the car, I'm helping them. I'm giving them my spare tire to, for their car. And we're working this out. And this guy goes, so what do you do? These are young guys. He was like in their 20-year-olds. And I just find out that one of them just got out of prison. They're bringing their friend back from prison to home. And, um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, God, <laughs> maybe I... Maybe this wasn't a good idea. And one of them go, goes, what do you do? And I go, oh, I'm a, I'm a minister on college campus. And he goes, oh, are you a Christian? I go, yeah. And he backs up and he gets kind of big and he goes, I'm a Muslim. What do you think about that? And I'm like, oh, I think that's fine. That's cool, bro. <laughs> you know, I don't have a problem, especially with all five of you guys. <laughs> so that's very fine with me. And this other guy goes, come on, bro. He's pulled over and he's helping us. He's oh yeah, that's true. That's cool, man. That's cool. <laughs> and he comes, and it's like he kind of like was an automatic pilot. What are you, what's going on? And he's like, oh, oh yeah, 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 that's cool. And he comes over and he shakes my hand. That is, that is not something Ryan would have done, but love of God, obedience pumps the love of God into my heart for people I don't know that are different in places. Maybe I'm a little uncomfortable. And that's what obedience does, is God calls us to obey in forgiving people. God's love is pumping, or obedience pumps his love into those relationships where we feel strain, resentment, bitterness. Obeying God pumps his love into those areas of our life where God wants to grow our generosity and increase our capacity to use what we have to bless other people. You see what I'm saying? When you confess God and say, I believe in you, God. I do have sin. I need you. Come into my life. And you want to just hold that love right here and not obey God because it's uncomfortable or it's weird or it's like coming out of a book that's 2,000 years old. You're like, come on, God. You didn't have iPhones back then. You didn't have internet. You didn't have Snapchat. You don't know what I have to deal with when you don't want to obey God because it doesn't fit your life. You cut off the flow of God's love into that area. Where we don't obey God, the love of God cannot flow into that area of our life. What happens to tissue in your body that does not get blood flow? Yeah, it dies. You guys ever heard of gangrene? Gangrene can be caused by disease or the lack of blood flow. When you get gangrene in one little area of your body, it can spread to your whole body. They have to cut it off. Why? Because one little part of your body, your arm, your hand, that gets gangrene, if it's not dealt with, it can spread and kill the whole body. One little area that you don't want to obey God in. God, you can have all that over there, but I want this area right here, right here. This is my area. No, no Jesus. This is like the stay out Jesus sign on the door, and I'm going to keep this little area to myself. But when you do that, when you and I do that, you are cutting off the flow of God's love to that place in your life. And that will kill you. Not only will it kill you in that area, but it's going to do harm to other people in our life, and it spreads through our whole life. One little area where we refuse, I cannot trust you here, God, begins to metastasize and spread. One little spot on my ear had to be removed, this big, on my ear, because if they didn't remove it, it could affect my whole body. 
That's obedience. Listen to this quote. Obedience is so important. One revivalist had this quote. A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Um, A revival is a breakthrough of God's life into our life that is felt dead. And if you are in need of a fresh revival in your life with God, if you are feeling distant, disconnected from God, it may be that there's an area of obedience that God is asking of you this morning. Not because he wants to get you under his control so he can manipulate you and you can be his little puppet, but so that he can pump his love into that dying area of your life. Where might that be for you? The second one is this. Obedience is the heart of our life in God and makes our love complete, makes God's, the love of God complete because it frees us from the lust of the world. Obedience completes the love of God in our life because it frees us from the lust of the world. Let's read 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to jump to verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, when John is talking about the love of the world, world, he does not mean all the cute little bunnies, beautiful sunshine days, the waves on a beautiful day at the beach. He's not talking about people and creation and just life. When John's talking about the world here, he's talking about the system of the world that is in rebellion against God, the, the mindset, the philosophy the posture that is in the world that is in rebellion, in resistance to the will and the word of God. That's the world that John's talking about. Not the physical space as much as an attitude and a posture towards God. And what he's saying is that in our lives are two great loves that are in competition for our lives and for our hearts. On the one end, there is the love of God that by obeying God's word, his love is pumped into every area of our life. On the other end of the spectrum, over here in this seat, this is where the love of the world sits. And over here, John explains the love of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, those desires in us that rather than fill it with God, we fill it with other things. The lust of the flesh is the attempt to satisfy your soul's yearning for God's love with other things that are more immediately gratifying, that are flashy and shiny. They are the the desires that come from within us. The lust of the eyes are the things that we see out there that we've got to have to make us complete. Oh my gosh, I wish I had a pair of pants like that guy. If I could just get those pants, I cannot get those pants out of my mind. I all, when I dream, I think of those pants dancing in front of me. There was this period just recently where I just really wanted to find my perfect pair of jeans. These are not them, but I wanted to find them. I, I just saw this pair of jeans and this guy, I'm like, man, those fit him so well. I want my perfect jeans. You know what I'm talking about? It is just so satisfying when you find a pair of jeans that just fits just the way that, you know, you've always dreamed you would be fitted. And I found these jeans 
on someone else. The lust of the eyes. But in all seriousness, the lust of the eyes. I'm not satisfied in this relationship, but man, that person really has got my eye. It is looking at what others have, looking what's out there and thinking, if I could get just what's out there and here, then I would be so much happier. I would be so much more good looking and confident. I would be so much more fulfilled if I could get that. And the pride of life is the result of getting the, is, is the result of fulfilling the lust of the flesh and the eyes. Once you've gotten all that you want and all that you see, you get the pride of life. And we are in a game. The world gets us in the game. The love of the world is like monopoly. And it is about accruing the pride of life through fulfilling the lust of your flesh and the lust of your eyes. And that pride of life is that feeling of like, look at what I've done. Look at me. Man, I got this. I accomplished that. I have that title, that position. Yeah. Man, I bet that person over there wishes they were me right now. Ooh, I'm feeling good. It is the sense of superiority that we get over one another because of what we've achieved. It is the sense of fulfillment that we get from doing the best we can with what we have. We have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we pity people who cannot pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Oh, that poor person. They, well, they get what they deserve. It's that mindset that I can do it on my own and it doesn't understand the grace of God. Obedience to God's word is obedience to God's standard of holy love. Now, this is very important. Without obedience to God's word, we are easily deceived by our lusts. So on the one hand, there's obedience to God's word. And when you obey God's word, you are tethering your life to the highest standard of love possible. I mean, I want you to really dwell on this for a second. Obeying the word of God is not a way of getting you to conform to a, a bunch of people so that we think you're cool and you feel like you fit in. If that's what it is, you are totally missing what this is about. People did not die martyr's death in order to fit in with their little crew. It was because the love of God had taken a hold of them and transformed them, and they wanted so much to be a part of this life that they were experiencing with God, and they were willing to obey God in every area in order to allow that love to fill more and more. That When I became a Christian, I told God, God, I can't be a Christian. There's too many things that I like that are not Christian. I told my Christian friend this. I can't be like you because there's too many things in my life that I like, that I love. I told him this, that Christians aren't supposed to love. God would have to be better than those things for me to follow him. I couldn't ever just go, well, that's the, the good thing to do. That is the right thing to do. Why don't I just, you know, ignore, you know, just put off all the fun I'm having at parties and stuff and go follow God and go to a Bible study. I mean, at the thought of not going to a party and going to a Bible study was mind-blowing. I was like, how do people do this? Until I met Jesus. And I challenged God. I said, God, if you are better than partying, if you are better 
If your love is better, I'll follow you. And there was one night, I used to put on Christian music in my room to put me to sleep at night because um, it was so boring. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I, I'm, I, I like white noise. and I would just put it in the background. And I'm laying in bed and the song comes on and I'm like, it's about God's love. And it's about God, you're so good to me. And it goes on about how good God is and how much he loves us. And it was like the love of God just walked into the room. And I can't describe it except that I just, it was real to me. Like John was saying, first John in the first couple verses, it was something that I could see and touch and feel right here. Not an emotion. I'm not talking about like, oh, I was just happy. I'm talking about a spiritual experience with God, an encounter with Jesus that filled me with his supernatural love. And I remember telling God, God, you are so much better than partying. And if this is what it's like to know you, I will quit that and do anything you want. When you obey God, you are tethering your life to not only the highest standard of love towards you, but for others. If there's an area of your life that you're like, man, I'm just not who I wish I was, a place in your life where you're more selfish, more unkind, more unforgiving than you wish you were, by obeying God in that area of your life, you allow a higher standard of love to come into you. And this is the idea of gritty love. Because our love is not gritty. And we'll explain why in a minute. But our love without God is fickle, capricious, and it's unconditional because it's the love of the world. And it is based on the lust of the flesh. What is this lust of the flesh? Well, in our country, um, one sociologist wrote a book, and it's called uh, The Narcissism Epidemic. And what they're finding is that over the last 30 years, narcissistic personality traits are on a dramatic rise in the United States. The United States, America, is number one in the world for narcissistic personality. Come on, yes. We've done it. We're at top again. We are at the top. We are number one again. Yes. Just not where we, not the top of the list we wanted. What is narcissism? Narcissism is loving ourselves above all others. It is placing others around at the expense for our need. Everyone else is for our ego. Everyone, if people who don't affirm our need for self-esteem and ego, they are pushed out of our life. Anyone who might challenge areas of our life, who might dare to correct us, dare to tell us that we might be doing something wrong or need to do it differently, they are excommunicated from our life. We are Pope and they are excommunicated. Listen to this. This is real. This is real. But here in the United States, we have taken the desire for self-admiration too far, so far that our culture has blurred the distinction between self-esteem and narcissism in an extreme and destructive way. Narcissism is about the love of self and you will obey who you and what you love most. Are you with me? We will always obey what we love most. And if you are tethered to the love of God by obeying him, the more you obey him, the more you're going to grow in love for God. But as you distance yourself in some area of your life from God's love, the only other thing that you can grab a hold of that John is saying is this love of the world, which is about ultimately the love of self. 
You are either going to grow in a, the love of God or the love of self. And this is what non-Christian, this was, was not written by Christians, written by non-Christian sociologists, psychologists are saying this is called narcissism. But one of the, one of the uh, tech questions, you're going to love this. One of the questions on the narcissistic personality disorder test is this. You have to choose A or B. Okay, you have to choose between one and two statements. I can live my life any way I want to, or people can't always live their lives in terms of what they want. Well, obviously, it's A, I can live my life any way I want to, right? Are you with me? But when you are brought under the word of God to obey God, it comes into direct conflict with how you want to live. So when God's like, forgive and love your enemy, no, God, you don't understand how annoying they are. You don't understand. And so we will create a narcissistic life where our friends are people who affirm us. So they're the, they're the relationships where I give one token of love to them, they give five back to me. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I give two tokens of love to them, they give me 20 back. So that they are always giving us a return on our investment of love. Those are the relationships that we can tolerate. But when it comes to loving people who are not like us, people who are not as cool as us, as hip as us, as athletic, as funny, as intelligent as us, as spiritual as us, well, we don't have time for those people because they don't reflect back to me what I love most about myself. And John is calling this the love of the world. And when you are not obedient to God, you are vulnerable to that love that takes us on a path that John calls death. The last one is this, taking God's love to others. Let's read 1 John now. Between these two loves is verse seven. Between the love of God and the love of the world is verse seven. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. What is this light? Watch verse nine. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John is writing this to Christians. And he's saying, to these guys, yeah, you're a Christian, you've been baptized, you've accepted Jesus, but if you are not growing in your love, if you are not loving others and you are hating a brother or sister, then you are in darkness. Can a Christian be in darkness? John is saying, absolutely. That you can be in the dark, living in darkness and allowing that darkness to take over your life. And the one thing that he really hits on is how are you loving those around you? How are you caring for those around you? This is what John is concerned with. I want to show you guys this image. Let's go to the next image. 
when we accept Jesus into our life, the love of God comes into our life. And for a lot of us, it would just feel like, man, can't we just stop there? Isn't this the Christian life that God, if I was the only person in the world that Jesus would have died for me? Haven't we heard this? And so, look, if I know God loves me and I, he's forgiven me in my sins, I can just go on living my life like I did before because now I know he loves me. And that this is not, just John saying, that is not the Christian life. This is a heart that has stopped beating when it's not pumping out. Now watch, when God's love grows in our life, it's evidence in our ability to love first those closest to us. So, you know, your spouse. And these are the easiest people to love because they're the ones that we chose, that chose us. They're the ones that like, like us, that look at us and found us attractive at some point in our life. And they're the easiest. So, you know, first, we at least got to be loving these guys. We got to be able to love them and lay down our life for them and place them above ourselves in some way. Hey, babe, you want to stay out later? Hey, let's go the extra mile because that's what make you happy. Let's go for it. And there is this bent, as posture. I am not trying to get the other person to serve me. I'm trying to find ways to serve this person. That's the love that Jesus is talking about. But then as it grows, maybe it grows into our kids, our friends, and it's spreading, right? And this love is growing. It's escalating in our life. And as you're obeying God, the love of God is getting pumped not only into our life, but through us. And as we, it is being made complete, our ability to love more and more people is growing. This is the Christian life. That the longer you are in Jesus, the better able you are to love people who are more unlike you. Think about that for a second. This is the Christian life. This is the authentication that you are walking in the life of God, that your life is becoming more off-road, more able to love people who are not like you, people who you would otherwise never want to talk to. Think about the early disciples. You've got tax collectors like Matthew and Peter, the fishermen. Think about these guys trying to become friends. Think about bringing into that group Mary, the prostitute, who had had seven demons. Think about that for your friendship circle. And it starts spreading, right? And next thing you know, you're not only loving people who are not like you, but you're loving people who do not like you. Come on now, that is not Jesus. Jesus would never ask me to like somebody who doesn't love me, doesn't think the world of me. Can you think of anybody in your life like that? Is there anybody in your life? I'm not suggesting that, especially with family, sometimes there are people we need to forgive, but it doesn't mean we should give them trust without earning it back. And forgiveness is an important issue. Are there people in your life that have harmed you that you need to forgive? That is one of the most extravagant acts of love. You know, the Bible says this, that if you won't forgive that person who wronged you, you will not be forgiven. Let's just go back to it. Not because, oh, you won't forgive them? Well, then forget it. I'm not forgiving you. I can be like that as a parent. Oh, you're not going to share with your sister? Well, I'm not going to give you anything either. I can be a little bit like that with my kids, but that's not what God's doing. Let's go back to the obedience. When you're forgiving others, when you're obeying that forgiveness, that command to forgive your mother, your father, 
your sibling, your spouse, your friend, your teammate, your coach, your roommate, you are pumping the love of God into every part of your life. The flow of God's forgiveness for you is increasing. Not that God all of a sudden is increasing in his desire to forgive you, but your ability to receive that forgiveness is increasing. Your experience of his forgiveness for you in every part of your life is increasing. As you forgive others, as you love others, especially the hard ones, there's someone in your life that's really hard to love right now. Can you draw someone to mind? Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Don't, don't point it out to them right now. I want to invite the band to come on out. As the band comes out, um, we've been, we're in this series about gritty love, and gritty love is obedient love. Gritty love is obedient love. Let me just a couple words about that. When we describe something as gritty, what do we mean? What does gritty mean? Okay, ready? It means to show courage and resolve, to be tough and uncompromising, hearty, stout-hearted, brave, and determined. And on the computer, when I looked it up on Wikipedia, it showed, said, like a stout, like a gritty pioneer woman. And it showed this picture of a woman with a big hat, black and white, with a shotgun and a gun tucked into her belt. I was like, dang straight, that is God's love. God's love is gritty like a gritty pioneer woman. He's coming into your life and he is ready to go to town for you. What is the opposite of gritty? I looked it up and it said this, fickle, indecisive, cowardly, timid, and spineless. Who here is hoping for that kind of love in their life? Who here is like, you know what? I could go for some of that spineless love. I'll have a little bit of that. Why don't you throw a little bit of fickleness on there and maybe a dash of indecisiveness? I can't wait to meet someone who has indecisive love towards me. Can you imagine those vows at your wedding day? And I vow to be indecisive and fickle in my love until fickleness do us part. No, you would be like, no way. That is not what it's about. That is the opposite. Gritty love is the love of God that loves us in full view of the good and the bad and the ugly in your life. He sees all your sin and there's nothing in you, no thought, nothing you've ever done that he does not see and say, I love you. Yeah, isn't that an awesome thought that you could just show God your absolute worst and he is not surprised. He's like, I love you. That is gritty love. And when you obey God, that love begins to reproduce itself through you. Um, I love this statement. A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Is there a place in your life where you're in need of God's reviving power? Some area of your life that feels dead, that feels dry, that feels like, you know, I'm doing the best I can, but it is just not producing the kind of joy or peace that I was hoping for. What John is saying, this is where you need to obey God. This is the place of obedience that God is identifying for you. It's not easy to obey God. 
How many times have I sat there with my wife knowing that I'm wrong? I know that I am dead wrong and I just cannot just stop and go, you know, you're totally right, I'm wrong. It's just like, oh, everything in me resists it. But when I do just stop and go, you know, babe, you're so right. Oh, I'm sorry for losing my cool. I'm sorry for being so irritable. It just feels like something in me just melts. All that hardness just melts. And I feel the love of God filling me. Any area of your life where you're not obeying God, you've cut off the flow of God's love. And if you need a fresh flow of God's love in your life, don't want to invite you right now. There's no matter who you are, where you are, I want to invite you to stand up. And I want you to stand up. And it's your way of just saying, you know what? I'm not afraid to admit to this room that I need God's love in my life. That I don't have it all figured out. Because you know what, guys? None of us has it figured out. We all struggle with obeying. Some of us in this room have areas of our life where we have tried to obey, but we feel defeated and discouraged. And if you're in need of a fresh shot of God's love and encouragement, in that place of your life, I want you to stand up right now so I can just pray for you. Because we're not coming here on Sunday morning to pretend like we've got it all figured out. John has already called it out. We all have sin in our life. I want you to bring this area of your life to God, this place in which, God, I'm really struggling to obey you here because I don't want to, it doesn't make sense to me, or I'm trying, but I keep just going, falling on my face and messing up. God wants to fill you afresh with his love this morning. Let's put our hands out. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus, you died on the cross for me. There's no sin in my life that has the final say over my life. I want to obey you in every area of my life. Convict me. Heal me. Encourage me. Strengthen me. bless you right now. In the name of Jesus, I bless you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. May the Spirit of God fill you afresh this morning. May the Lord give you fresh courage and strength to obey Him and to experience the flow of His life into every nook and cranny of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.